Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. everybody welcome to another new episode of undying light i am your host pastor alex and uh once again we are back at it in the gospel of matthew as is the directive of this show to take scripture speak through it and explain it and talk about it in a manner that is easy for you to understand you don't need a notepad or uh, or any dictionary or anything like that for me i am going to tell you in the most simplest terms what is going on in the passages and I find that this approach has been quite a welcoming one, especially from my congregation as they have come to enjoy the fact that I can take the complexities and break them down for them and uh, make it easy and palatable for them. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of great theologians out there and they are profound thinkers, very intellectual, but at the end of the day, they, they keep that intellect so high that it makes listening to them a challenge. And I've actually even noticed this as I'm reading uh, a particular book in preparation for my next couple of chapters in my book and just how intellectual the author is and how detailed and meticulous he is as he's recording these lectures. And while, yes, these are lectures for an academical purpose, they are pretty heavy. And so the average layperson or the person in the Christian church is not just going to go out and buy their book and pick it up and read it. These books are driven towards seminary students, theologians, people who have a knack for that sort of complexity. But I've really learned that the show flourishes when we take the simplicity or take the complexity of scripture and make it simple for you to listen to. And that's really been our directive um, since the uh, the split back in 21, or was it even earlier than that? I don't remember. 20, maybe? It's been a while. I've been running this show by myself for a long time. We got over 300 episodes, and uh, I think at last count, we were right around 163,000 downloads uh, total, which is a phenomenal achievement. Uh, I would love to see us get to that 200,000 mark of total downloads. But, uh, you know, we're, we're tracking along. You know, we're doing okay. We get, uh, 
you know, roughly a couple thousand listens every week, every couple of weeks. Um, so it varies and fluctuates. So, but uh, overall, I think we are doing well on the show and I've really enjoyed doing this. And again, as I've made notion that we just don't have any means of slowing down. We don't have any purpose to slow down or anything reason any reasons to stop we're going to continue to produce episodes and continue to um, bring you God's word and that is the purpose of the show and that's what we've been doing for the last quite a few weeks in fact I think we've been in Matthew for a couple quite a few months now and uh, we've been looking at uh, verse by verse through everything we've read everything we've talked about everything and we are now going to go into chapter 9 and so but before we do that I've got two Pretty interesting thing. Well, one's interesting, the other's just kind of uh, boring. But uh, the first one I want to go through um, in a moment will be the, the the list of all of the miracles that Jesus has performed. And we'll um, try to break down the scriptures really quick. We won't get into any of the, the actual context, but I just think it's interesting how um, in my study Bible here that I've got on my screen on Logos, it shows me all 39 miracles performed by Christ and there are so many more. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But I just want to make sure that you as a listener, especially if you're new, understand that we are a listener-supported show. And so to keep this show going into the future, we would love to have your support either by a one-time gift. Uh, you can DM me on social media platforms available through PayPal and Venmo and all that jazz. Uh, or you can subscribe on Patreon and get access to all of the content that we do beyond the show. You'll get early access to the shows. You'll get access to my book drafts as I'm writing it. You'll get access to sermon notes. Uh, and then as the summer kicks on, we are going to start doing a little bit more uh, exclusive work for the patrons as a focal point of teaching. And more or less just a big thank you back to them for supporting the show for so long. So dollar a month gets you full access to everything. $10 and some change gets you 12 months of access to everything uninterrupted. Uh, or like I said, you can give us a one-time donation. I've got, I've had plenty of people who have done that and have been very beneficial. Um, but the dollar a month, I find it, I don't want to set tiers and, and then, you know, have to produce all this content and, you know, fight to get where my mental, you know, levels are for, oh, if I write this paper, then that's only going to be for these tiers. And if I do this, you know, section of teaching, it's only going to be for those tiers. I just, everything I do, I make available on Patreon. Dollar a month gets you access to all of it. There's, you, you can give more if you choose, but all I ask is a dollar of your money for my time that I put into the show. So that's uh, quite a below, uh, what is it? The living wage now that's being purported of $20 an hour that everybody wants. Um, minimum wage. I think, I don't know. It was like 10 and 10 or 12 bucks an hour, whatever it is nowadays. Um, but it's lo- well below, below that, uh, for the amount of time that I put into uh, the content in this show. So a dollar a month gets you full access to everything. That's literally pennies a day. It's ridiculous. Well, it might be like, you know, 10, I don't know, what is it, 30 days? I can't do math really quick. My brain's kind of foggy. So we'll uh, chalk it up dollar a month, gets you access to all that jazz. So uh, the second thing I really, like I said, found interesting here is this uh, list. And we're going to go through and we're just going to quickly tag on them because uh, I really find it 
a fascinating breakdown here. Uh, so it says, besides this list, Jesus performed numerous miracles that the evangelists mention but do not describe. Uh, this is recorded in Matthew 4.23, 9.35, 11.21, Mark 6.56, Luke 4.40, 5.15, 6.17-18, 7.21, 10.13, 20, and 21.25. So those are miracles that are, dis- that are talked about, mentioned, but not described. That's just a quick run through. Now, here's this interesting list. 39 miracles. Uh, I'm sorry, 36. 36 miracles. And we're going to quickly run through them here. Water into wine in Cana. This is in John chapter 2. The healing of the official son as well in Cana. This is John chapter 4. Uh, healing of the man in the pool of Bethsaida. This is John chapter 5. The miraculous catch of fish is recorded in Mark chapter. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. I got to make sure I got my my markers here right. Uh, Luke chapter five for the miraculous catch of fish, uh, the healing of the unclean spirit. Mark chapter one and Luke chapter four, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law recorded in Matthew eight, Mark one, and Luke four. I'm not giving you the verses just because of time. Uh, the healing of the leper in Galilee. This is uh, Matthew chapter eight, Mark chapter one, and Luke chapter five. The healing of the paraplytic in Capernaum. Uh, this is what we will deal with today on the show. Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, and Luke chapter 5. Now, I will give you the verses on these because this is the correlating scriptures. Uh, Mark is chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Luke is chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Today, we will look at uh, verses 1 through 8 in uh, chapter 9 of Matthew. Then we move on. We've got the healing of uh, of a man with a weathered ha- withered hand. This is in Galilee. This is in chapter 12 of Matthew, chapter 3 of Mark, and chapter 6 of Luke. The healing of the centurion's servant in Capernaum, Matthew 8. We've already discussed that. Not recorded in Mark, recorded in Luke in chapter 7. The raising of the widow's son, only recorded in Luke chapter 7. The healing of the blind man and the mute Demon-oppressed man in Galilee, chapter 12 in Matthew only. Calming of a storm, the Sea of Galilee, recorded Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 8, Mark 4, Luke 8. Healing of the two men with demons uh, and uh, Gadarenus. This is what we talked about uh, just a little bit ago on this show for Matthew 8. Uh, Mark 5 and Luke 8. Raising of Jairus' daughter, Capernaum, Matthew 9. It'll be probably next two weeks or so that we'll get to that. Mark 5, Luke 8. The healing of the woman with discharge of blood, um, Matthew 9, Mark 5, Luke 8. Uh, The healing of the two blind men, Matthew 9. Healing of the mute demon oppressed man, Matthew 9 as well, verses 32 and 34. Feeding of the 5,000. This is in uh, Bethsheeda. This is uh, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. Bethsaida, my apologies there for not reading that correctly. Uh, the 20th miracle, walking on water, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. Matthew 14, Mark 6, John 6. Healing of the daughter of a Canaanite woman, district of Tyre. This is Matthew 15. And Mark 7, the healing of the deaf man with the speech impediment in Decapolis. Mark 7, feeding of the 4,000 in Decapolis. Matthew 15 and Mark 8, healing of the blind man near Bethsaida. Mark 8, 
healing of a boy with an unclean spirit, the mount uh, near the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, Mark 8, Luke 9. Provision, I'm sorry, Mark 9, 14 through 27 in Luke 9 as well. Provision of a shekel, Capernaum, Matthew 17. Healing of the blind man, Jerusalem, John chapter 9. Healing of the mute man with a demon in Perea, Luke 11. Healing of a woman with a disabling spirit in Perea in Judea, uh, or Judea. Luke 13. Healing of a man with uh, droopsy. This is in Luke 14. The raising of Lazarus, only in John 11. Cleansing of the ten lepers in uh, near Samaria in Galilee, Luke 17. The healing of the blind Bartimaeus and companion, Matthew 20. Mark 10, Luke 18, cleansing of the fig tree, Matthew 21, Mark 11, healing of Malchurius's ear in Gethsemane, only recorded in Luke 22 and John 18, and the second catch of the sea of Tiberius, John 21. And then John goes on to record, now Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, John 20, 30. So this is an interesting starting point for us to really unpack is John just referring simply to his miracles because he only records one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight miracles out of the 20, uh, 36 that are performed. Uh, we could say that John also mentions in John two, three, four, 20 and 21. So that's one, two, three, four, five. So there's 13 total miracles. If you add those into this list, but uh, he doesn't describe them, but he just mentions them. So we have to kind of make that separating marker in our minds. So eight miracles out of these 36 uh, that John records. So is John simply referring uh, to his own book, uh, this, the purpose of this book, and this is recorded in John 20, uh, or is he uh, making reference to um, the other books in in the construct of of everything else but most theologians reside that this is john's gospel that he's reporting uh, that this book is referencing to john john only state not only states the purpose of his book but summarizes uh, the the contents of it immensely here Uh, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John's purpose of his gospel, as we know, is not to display kind of the the average life of Christ. It's the the miraculous movements and the deity demonstrations. So John is going to give us more teachings and some parables than the other gospels, but between like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you know, we know that there's a lot of similarities and they all record fairly close to the same message. However, we do know that there are some that uh, go a little bit above and beyond and there are some that change the perspective and some only record a certain one while the other two don't. So um, this is kind of a bigger topic described in our Bible study as we are working through a uh, a harmony of the Gospels, and in these harmonies, we're looking at all four of them as they happen in chronological order. And so we are talking through each of these miracles, reading the passages, and describing the differences and talking about how can we reconcile, you know, if Mark records something, Matthew gives us more details, but Mark kind of says something that's a little different, how do we handle that? And that's what we're doing in the Bible study, which again is available to patrons. 
Uh, normally, we do it Sunday night at 7 p.m. on cent, uh, Central Time, but uh, going into the summer months, we're going to scale it back um, in time to right after church. So our church service gets over at about 11 o'clock usually. So by 11.15, we will um, move on to having Bible study right after church, and then we'll go for 45 minutes or an hour till 12, 12.15 or whatever it is. So that's what we're considering. And if you can't make it during that time period, they are made uh, available to watch via Patreon, so you can go back and see previous uh, Bible studies. Uh, we've done Mark. We've done Romans. We've done some Old Testament, a Christmas series, and now we're doing the Harmony of the Gospel. So we've done quite a bit of work uh, thus far in breaking down scripture for you. And those are all still available uh, through Patreon. And if you need direct links, I can also give those to you if you are a patron. So let us get into the context today. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we begin, begin here with another uh, miracle here. Jesus is he uh, healing a paralytic. And then Jesus will call Matthew in the next section of verses. Whether we get to that or not, we'll see how time allows. Uh, so here we go. Let's re remind ourselves that just a few moments ago, if you would, um, Jesus had just healed these two men with demons, and now uh, he's they're being begged to leave their region. And so Jesus getting into the boat, as verse 9 begins, uh, and came over to his own city. This would be Capernaum. Uh, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But you know, but that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, and uh, who had given such authority to men. All right, let's get into it here, uh, beginning with the second verse. So we know that he's already going back to his own city, Capernaum, from verse 1. And they bring him this uh, paralytic. He's lying on a bed. Uh, this is not like a bed like you have in your home. Um, this is better translated as a stretcher-like mat. It's a flat surface surface that uh, people could be transported on, so kind of like a stretcher, if you would, uh, but something that's light and portable and easy to uh, maintain. And Jesus sees their faith in verse 2. Uh, both the paralytic and the people who brought him to Jesus showed their faith. Thinking in this context, okay, Jesus has now come back to Capernaum. These people have heard uh, of his preaching and have witnessed his miracles. And so what do they do? They, they have this man who's a paralytic. And so they draw him out and they, and they bring him in hopes that Christ will forgive them and more, more so, but heal them. They're not quite at the, at the point of understanding that Christ is going to forgive their sins, but he's looking, they're looking for Christ to heal and and maybe even provide a blessing in some contracts. Uh, if he's a true prophet of God, maybe they, he can bless them. That could be another thought that's swimming around in their head. And so what does Jesus say uh, when this paralytic comes? He says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. This verse right here, I find, has a lot of people um, kind of in a, in a tussle because 
this is you know one of the notions that goes all the way back to the early parts of his ministry when Jesus starts to forgive sin. Mark doesn't give us the the long elaborate intro to the life of Jesus before beginning his ministry. Mark really just dives right in to the ministry of Christ and we see immediately in the gospel of Mark the forgiveness of sins being prevalent amongst Jesus's teaching. And now we get to Matthew 9 and we see these words pronounced, your sins are forgiven. That uh, Lord God in this concept or in this construct here is taking the sins. He is forgiving sins and he is, and this is what has been taught throughout the Old Testament that only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus right here is speaking directly and immediately with God's authority. He is demonstrating to these people that this is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh, the Emmanuel, God with us. This is the uh, incarnation of Christ. This, I mean, we, we can give him every name and title. This is the Son of God, the Son of Man, performing a miracle. But before he does that, he forgives sin. And then the scribes begin to to grumble, and he will go on and answer them in a moment. But I want to say what John Christostas says here. He discloses also another sign, and that no one, no small one of his own Godhead is uh, of his equal equality in the honor with the Father. So John is saying that Jesus is disclosing yet another miracle for us, another sign showing that he is equal in honor with the Father. Now, we know that the, in the triune Godhead and, and how we describe the Trinity that Jesus is not God the Father. God the Father is not Jesus, and uh, neither one of them are the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is neither one of them. And so you could kind of equate it into this really abstract triangle, um, but in the center they all interconnect and say they are God. And so they are equal in honor and glory. They each have different functions in terms of how God operates. And so Christ is demonstrating that he has this equality equality in honor with the Father here, but he's also demonstrating that in his authority, because he will tell us at the end of Matthew here that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. This doesn't happen at the end of Matthew as we want to think in of itself because he's been given all the authority, but now in his resurrected state at the end of Matthew, he can fully demonstrate that and do as he pleases. Up until that marker, Jesus still has the authority to forgive sin. And so this is what he's doing here. Now, I also want to take another interesting note on the forgiveness of sins here. This is Jesus taking on that sin. Paul makes it clear in his writings in Galatians and in 1 Corinthians that he becomes sin for our sake. Now, there are some heretical teachings in this mark uh, and there are some people who are would be considered, you know, very popular in uh, some of the NAR movements and the healing prosperity movements and all that, like a Todd White, for instance, who will go on to say that Jesus was, you know, an adulterer, a murderer, and all this stuff. Jesus is not committing these sins, but he is taking sin on himself and becoming sin, so that when he dies on the cross, he can have those sins forgiven by the wrath of God being poured out on him. That is how we describe these verses. He is taking sin upon himself. He is holstering it on his back, if you would. He's tying it to the millstone, and he's got 
countless millstones that he's dragging behind him to the cross. And then at the cross, God is pouring out his wrath upon Christ because Christ has now become sin. And so each of these little forgiveness, it's almost like little pieces to that bigger puzzle. By the time he's at the cross, Jesus has become sin. This is what Paul tells us. And we can trust what Paul writes. And we can assert that with Christ becoming sin, he is fulfilling the prophecies from Deuteronomy that he has been a curse for us and he's been hung to a tree for us. He has become sin for us who knew no sin. He did not commit these sins, but he became sin so that in his death and his resurrection, our sins can be forgiven. That is the beauty of the gospel that you that is what every church should be preaching every single Sunday. Every Sunday, they should preach in some construct the the resurrected Christ. If Christ didn't resurrect from the grave, then our faith is folly and there is no hope for us. That's what Paul again tells us. For those of us who cling to the resurrection, for those of us who cling to the forgiveness of sins, that is the promise of the gospel. That is the promise that this paralytic is receiving before he is even given the ability to get up and walk. Remember, he's he's paralyzed. He can't move his legs. He might be able to move his arms, but he cannot get up and walk. And what happens here in a few moments, Jesus will tell him to get up and walk and he gets up and walks. That is a miracle. But the greater miracle is the forgiveness of sin. And this is what the scribes balk at. This is where they say he's blaspheming God. He is demeaning or being negative or, or acting in, uh, in a manner that is negative towards God and his nature. And this accusation is that Jesus claims divine authority because such forgiveness must only come from God. And this is what the scribes think. This was the beginning of a long standing conflict between the followers of Jesus and the heirs of the Pharisees in the rabbinic Judaism. The rabbinic writers would describe Jesus as a sinful magician who would not listen to wisdom and sought to destroy the law of Moses. A similar scandal may occur when pastors forgive sins by Jesus's authority. Example, when a pastor states, as a called and ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the forgiveness of all of your sins. Hey, guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, as a Lutheran pastor, I say that every Sunday during the confession and absolution by the grace and authority that God has given me as a called and ordained servant. I now declare to you the forgiveness of all your sins. I am relaying what Christ has said. I am speaking for God in this moment. I am the mouthpiece of Christ when I give the forgiveness of sin. I have no authority to do so in of myself. That authority only comes from God. So this again, and and I'll tell you, if you're a reformed person, I apologize, but I know that this is where we step on some toes because the reformed people don't like to hear a preacher tell them by the authority of Christ, I therefore declare to you the forgiveness of all sins. They want to make it some a little bit more abstract than a direct forgiveness. They want to say that Christ forgives you of your sins if you repent and believe in the gospel. And I've heard a lot of people make this argument that you have to have uh, repentance. And in fact, I was actually talking to another gentleman the other day, and he was talking about how um, the you know, you have to kind of do all these things. I want to actually read you the conversation because I, I think it hopefully will help understand a little bit more what I'm trying to get at here. So the conversation begins with this individual, and I'm not going to say names, 
because I have no, you know, there's absolutely no, you know, uh, discrepancies or anything here. But this individual sends me uh, a name or a picture, uh, a meme or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's a post and, and it says that Jesus paid it all. Okay, right? He paid for sin, paid for shame, pain, past mistakes, rejection and loneliness, slavery to sin, spiritual death. The amount due, zero dollars. Change, zero dollars. Subtotal, zero. Grand total, zero. And then it quotes Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So a beautiful little breakdown, right? And a little and kind of in the construct of a receipt. And this individual says, in in the end, it should have mentioned terms and conditions apply. And I said, well, no, not really. There are no terms or conditions to the gospel. It's what Christ has done for you. And we will actually expound that very thought in a, in a whole chapter in my upcoming book. Jesus Christ did pay the price for our sins. This is what he replies. He did pay the price for our sins, but did but we do need to repent. So this is the, the reform's viewpoint of a work, a, something to cling to. They cling to their repentance instead of the finished work of Christ. And, I, and I'll be honest, because this is what I did when I was in that Calvinist circle. Did I repent good enough? Was I repentant enough? to be saved. And, and if I can't repent, then am I a part of the elect? That's a very troubling mindset and a a whirlpool to get into. He goes on and says, "Uh, you need to repent and believe he did pay the price, but unless we repent and believe what value do we hold for that price? I said, repentance is Christ working in you, taking you from unbelief to belief. That's what repentance ultimately is. Now, we can say repentance is also the, um, you know, turning away from a particular sin and turning towards the righteousness of Christ. But the ultimate repentance is taking you from unbelief to belief. Notice any time in scripture, repentance is being professed. Uh, in the early ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, he's saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Turn from your unbelief. And turn to Christ, he is here, the Messiah. And Peter, Acts 2, 38, 39, when the crowds, after hearing this pro- profound sermon, what must we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Turn from your unbelief and believe and be baptized. Now, we can also articulate that in your baptism, you are be given the faith. You've been given faith as I preach this word to you. So it is happening in conjunction with your baptism. Forgiveness of sins comes in that moment of your baptism. You have been forgiven of all your sins. And this is the message that we take to Christians. The, that it is not a necessary measure of you having to repent. It is a measure of you believing this gospel. Because if you believe it, then you have been repented. God has repented you. He has taken you from unbelief and given you belief. He's given you faith. He has filled your oil or you filled your lamp with oil, and you can now see the world. You have the light of the world given to you. That is the whole entire crux of the gospel right there. And all of those things will be expounded upon uh, in my particular book because my book is aimed at walking the Christian through how to read and handle Scripture. And what does it mean when you come across passages of law and passages of the gospel? How can we reconcile and how can we handle these texts? That is the whole premise of the book. So these uh, scribes think that Jesus is committing some sort of blasphemous act by forgiving sins. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, replies to them, Why do you think evil in your hearts? 
for is it evil or for which is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or for you or to say rise up and walk so he's knowing uh, many greek manuscripts have the same word as in verse 2 saw uh, just as jesus saw the faith of the paralytic he saw the thoughts of the scribes jesus's question brought out the grueling malice of the scribes against his gracious ministry and so we now are starting to see this kind of uh, involvement away from the loving Christ and where people kind of, you know, the, the scribes and Pharisees really tolerated him now to a malicious and, you know, endeavor. And so Jesus goes on and he says, but that you may know that the son of man has authority. This is to forgive sin. Jesus proves his authority to forgiveness, uh, forgive sins on earth by commanding the paralytic to get up and go home. This is another example of his power that he demonstrates in his very words. And so the people are afraid. Uh, the sinful mortals react with fear when they are confronted with the evidence of God at work. And this is demonstrated throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, the glorified God, in contrast to uh, Gadarenus, back in 834, these people responded to uh, Jesus' authority by giving God the glory. So verses 1 through 8, the paralytic who uh, brought to Jesus, no doubt, hopes for physical uh, healing, he receives an even greater blessing, the absolution. The word absolve comes from the Latin ab or from in solver, which is loose, and refers to the sacred act of loosening a person from sin to free them from guilt. When we confess our sins, whether publicly or privately, we hear God's word of forgiveness spoken to us. Then, and like the paralytic, we are absolved. Luther says this, Luther calls the absolution a great and precious and magnificently splendid treasure, and urged believers to accept it with all praise and thanksgiving to God. That's going to wrap up today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Next week we will get into uh, Matthew being called here, and then uh, depending on time we might look at the question about fasting. So it's Friday by the time this episode airs, so make sure you get into church on Sunday. Hopefully you can partake in some of uh, the divine services around you or receive uh, the sacrament of the altar, and have the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins. But I pray that your pastor absolves you of your sins. Otherwise, you have to hear me say it. Your sins are forgiven. Until next week, guys, God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.